I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. For us, it was always about the fashion. It was always about making something that was a bit weird, a bit different, or it had a message, or it was saying something. And um, that's kind of what we got to do on the show, and I got to do after that. Welcome to a brand new episode of Chosen Family. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And I'm Trana Winter. That was Bimini Bonboulash you Woo! just heard. <laughs> Party up in here. Bimini, East London, drag royalty and runner up on RuPaul's Drag Race UK. We spoke with her about her new book, Release the Beast, and the liberation that comes from going beyond your own limitations. More with her later in the show. Before we were friends, I was a fan. You know that we talked about <laughs> yes. this and I saw your first solo stand up music show, uh, Trantasy. Yes. Was that the title? Yes. And recently, and I love to see you in small clubs because you have such a command. I mean, I love you on big space, on big stages, but I think in small clubs, you have such a command of the energy and it's a great space for queer people. And you just return to the club with a new show, Trana's High School Reunion. I saw it. It was really good. How was that experience? It was so emotional. Like, I think that during the whole pandemic, this was the show that I was fantasizing about. Like, there have been a lot of amazing moments and I've gotten to do a lot of shows and that's amazing. But I hadn't gotten the chance to do my own show that is, you know, just from me. So I did a show two weeks ago called High School Reunion, which was sort of this like very personal show about my high school years and mixing comedy and storytelling and the music from those years, 2000 to 2004. So for people who weren't there in the show, you describe your high school. It looks hellish. I posted a picture on Instagram <laughs> and it does. It's this it looks like this giant concrete prison. None of the classroom had windows. <laughs> what? There were some windows in like some of the hallways, but not many. There was the skylight in the cafeteria, which was like in the middle of the school, but no windows. What was the name of the school? Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School, PCHS. Okay. Um, a name straight out of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't. And all of the colors inside the building were so garish. So you're inspired by that place that you're describing. I'm assuming because you have such great memories. Of course. Nothing but the best memories. I mean, those years were so hard and I needed an outlet, a creative outlet to really process it. I mean, I could just go to a therapist, but <laughs> you need to make people pay for it. Yes, exactly. Like it's, I don't know, to me, this is like not art therapy, but it was just a way of purging all of these emotions that Pen15 had brought up for me. Um, and what I love about getting to do these kinds of shows is that we work really hard on the music and obviously that's like rehearsed and we're working out all the arrangements because we do these like medleys and we sort of take songs and make them speak to each other, you know, so that there's something greater that's being communicated. It's not just about doing these songs. It's about finding new meaning in these songs. And you attach a story to a song. So exactly. one, one example would be your dream of being Madonna in grade seven. Yeah. And then you auditioning for the school's talent show, doing a song off of Ray of Light. One of the things that PC used to do every year that I was super excited about was their big variety show, the big talent show for all grades. They did it every year. And I was so excited to try out. And even though I was like already the target of so much bullying, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sing for the PCHS variety show. And... I chose to sing Madonna's Drowned World, My Substitute for Love. 
which is this like mid-career song that Madonna wrote about giving up love in the name of fame and how that was a big mistake, something that 12-year-old me could really relate to. This was like the most emotional, personal show that I've ever done. And the thing is, is that we put all the music together and I make a set list for myself. I know what stories go with which songs, but I don't write it out. Mm-hmm. I really just bullet point what I want to say in the order that I want to say it so that there is this cohesion and one thing sort of leads into the next. But the show is as much a surprise for me as it is for the audience because I don't fully know what's going to come out in the moment. I think also it's you need to paint a picture of the kind of students you were. You were really good. You had good grades, but the whole time you were like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, what is the purpose? <laughs> And I think a lot of people can relate. We just really picture young Trana having this like <laughs> existential crisis over like, what is it like math? Everything. Like, I mean, math was my weakest subject, but I pushed myself so hard, <laughs> you know, like in English and history and geography and learning everything. Math was just sort of the one thing that I sort of accepted that I was never going to be really great at. And so that was okay. But again, put so much pressure on myself, so much importance on succeeding in that school Um, without a clue of what was going to come next. I think to survive high school, a lot of queer people need, yeah, we have friends, but we need to rely on the few teachers who understand, who can spot queerness and who can nurture it. But you've had one of those teachers and you have had that experience of being nurtured as a writer, which yeah. is really crazy because like if you had never been told that you're a good writer at the time, so many of the other decisions that you took would never have happened. Yeah. And who was that person? So that person was my ninth grade English teacher, Mrs. Martella. So in grade eight, we knew that the next year we were getting Mrs. Martella for English. And we were all scared because we had heard like how hard she would be on us. Like we heard she was like really fucking tough. And I was like, oh my God, like what the hell is going to happen? So I was scared. Like I was nervous that first day that we had Mrs. Martella. Um, but I like instantly fell in love with her and she had just such a great sense of style, like just this very eclectic sense of style. Like one day she'd be dressed in a caftan and the other she'd have this sort of like pilgrim blouse with a pencil skirt and high heels. And to me, she was like the only worldly cosmopolitan person in this suburban hellhole. And I remember putting the show together. I wasn't sure if I could talk about her um, because she passed away very tragically nine years ago. And it was a major shock to me because we remained friends after high school. We would see each other a couple of times a year for dinner. And I just loved her as a friend. And having that friendship with her was such a gift. But I also idolized her. Like she mm. was like a Madonna figure to me. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I think she was a celebrity for you. She was, absolutely. Yeah. And a friend, like both yeah. of those things. There would be no <laughs> chosen family without Miss Martella. Because in a way, she was your chosen family at the time. For sure. It's, it's literally impossible for me to talk about her without crying. It's like, I don't know. It just chokes me up every time. Like it happened in the show as well. Um, because her influence on me was so profound. And so whenever anything good happens in my artistic career. I think about her like everything is like a testament to what she brought to my life in those very lonely, difficult years of being so unsure about myself in every way. Because in her class, I just felt so safe and so seen. And it was this really awakening moment to have this woman in my life who was just so cool and it felt like she opened up the whole world to me and I feel like to this day just the fact of doing what I do is so much because of her and her class after I did the show I looked up her daughter Leanne I just decided to DM her and I was just like, I had your mom in high school and I met you a few times too. I don't know if you'll remember any of this. 
And she remembered, and she even remembered what I had written on the funeral home's guest book because it really touched her. And we went for coffee. Um, We met actually really close to where her mom used to live. And it was such an emotional experience. Um, And I feel and felt such an instant connection with Leanne, like even beyond the love that I had for her mom, like there's something between me and Leanne that is like so beautiful as well. And I feel like there's this new friendship that has started um, that I'm so grateful for. And Leanne and her sister Miranda both came to the second night and like I got emotional at the first show that, that I did when they weren't there, but there was something about their presence that I think took the show even to the next level. And when I got to the part where I talked about their mom, I just like broke down on stage, like in a way that I never have before or would never even allow myself to do. And I think that as a performer, like that moment of allowing myself to be that vulnerable, which I, I'm usually so terrified by, it really felt like a breakthrough for me as a performer. Our guest today is Bimini Bamboulash, runner-up on RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 2. I will say, as someone who enjoys the show but is not a diehard fan, alongside Bob the Drag Queen, Bimini is my favorite queen of all the seasons. Bimini is hilarious, smart, artistic, fashion-forward. She is the whole package. (laughs) So hot. She blew me away. She gave us so many good moments on the show uh, from obviously Bang Bang Bong with UK Han, the girl band that even charted in the UK to her Snatch Game. Almost immediately after Drag Race, Bimini just was launched into the fashion stratosphere. She was signed by Next Models and before you knew it was in the pages of Vogue Italia, interview magazine The Face, instant fashion icon. Katie Price is here. Is it cold in here or is it just my nipples? <laughs> you know what they say, Woo? What is that? The nipples are the eyes of the face. <laughs> and you've got gorgeous nipples. <laughs> so I am currently in Canning Town, which is in East London, um, and I've just recently moved and I now live on the River Thames, which is like, you know, I don't know if you know EastEnders, but you know when you like see the like style of EastEnders, like the actual Thames, like I live on that, which is crazy. I was like, <laughs> um, and I found out today there were sharks in the Thames. They found sharks wow. in the Thames. Like an actual poor shark swimming around in that dirty water. So, well, I, yeah, I told my flatmate and Bob's like, they went running out. I was like, where are they? And I was like, you're not going to see them. They're not just going to be like swimming by our flat. Like, hey. But, um, yeah, it was, that was funny to, that's a to very, this morning. I don't know why anyone would want to live in there. That's a very East London story. I, I have to say, um, I fell in love with you right during the first runway when you did Princess Julia. I remember when I was a teenager reading the Face magazine and just yes. reading about East London, reading about the fashion uh-huh. scene and the parties. And uh, many, many years ago, I traveled to London and, and went to a party when Princess Julia was uh, DJing. For people who don't know, why is she the icon that you picked on that first runway, uh, which is always a like hometown runway, right? Yeah, so we had hometown runway and then we had UK gay icons. And I mean... Because the word icon gets thrown around very loosely now. (laughs) Everyone's an icon for doing something. And I felt like she, to me, she's a true UK gay icon because she has been at the forefront of so many different fashion, so many different fashions that have happened in, in, in cultures in London. And she's always been with queer people. And she's always uplifted and celebrated and supported, even through the AIDS epidemic that happened even through everything, she always stood up for queer people. And she still is now. She still DJs in all of the queer parties. She's still, she's in her like 60s now. She's still killing the fashion game. To me, that is a true gay icon. Someone that has been there since the beginning and has done it because they love 
queer people. They're not doing it for points. They're not doing it for kudos. They're not doing it for Instagram. They're not doing it for clout. They're doing it because they, their heart is pure and they love them. And that's why I chose her. So I don't care if they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't agree. She is a UK I, girl. <laughs> I mean, I certainly got it. And I was really rooting for you these couple these first couple of episodes and then something happened that has never happened on on drag race is production stopped so all these months it was like what seven months between um the fourth and yeah. fifth episode yeah it was obviously um what i think was so special about our show um our season in particular is because anyone that watches it you can kind of relate to it in a way because the world stopped It was crazy. We originally got, we, they walked in and told us that we were stopping production. They were like, oh, you'll be back in three weeks. Like we, we had no idea. Everyone thought the same. We all didn't realize the, the severity of what was about to happen. So we had no jobs. We had no income. We had no work. I went on to, in the UK, we have something called universal credit, which is a very, very basic income, which basically was paying for my, my rent and to be able to survive on food because there was no, no all my jobs had stopped. I'd put all my savings into drag race and then everything. So we, we didn't know what was going to, we didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was quite, it was quite crazy. Um, I think in London we were luckier than they were in Scotland. They were a lot stricter. When it got to the summer, we were able to do outdoor events. Um, but obviously you, you said you've come to London, so you know that you can only do about three of those before it pisses <laughs> So how do you feel like you use those months? Because I know that even just for many of us, people thought, oh, we have all this time like to, you know, do the things we've always wanted to do or create the things that we've wanted to do. Do you feel like you did use that time? Because when you came back, you sort of came back like guns blazing and you, you know, reached yeah. this new level. So... What was your process going back into Drag Race? Do you know what's, what's funny um, is I, before Drag Race, I was going through a stint of sobriety. So um, as the show was on, I hadn't drank alcohol for a year for the first part of the show. And then in the summer, I started drinking again. So when I went back to the show, I'd been drinking. So maybe that was what it was. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I loosened up. You know, I think like... I went in first episode, bottom two. No one expects that to happen. You go onto the show, every kind of drag artist has a certain level of delusion about them. So you think that you're going to get to the final automatically. You walk in and you're like, oh, it's easy. So when I was thrown into that bottom, I was like, no, like this is, this is throwing me off. And then the second week when my balloons dried up, the paint dried up and it didn't pop properly, that threw me <laughs> off as well. And I was just like, God, I just can't get a break. So I think um, the break came at a time and I went back knowing what I was capable of doing and I went back believing in myself a lot more so I think that's I think ultimately that's what it was I went back relaxed I've been doing a lot of yoga so your book is called releasing the beast um yes. and I know you just now you know sort of half jokingly spoke about drinking and yoga and that relaxation but if you had to identify <laughs> the beast that was sort of standing in your way what what was that beast it's, it's your own thoughts. It's your own demons. It's the stuff that you struggle with. And I think what, I, what I've wanted to do with the book in particular was wanted it to be the anti-self-help in a way. Because I've, I've tried to do things over the years when I've kind of battled with addiction and I've followed these kind of strict diets or strict regimes. And when you mess up, you really beat yourself up and it can actually be detrimental to what you're trying to do. And I think what I ultimately wanted to show with the book is that life has no, there's no right way to go. You just have to follow your path, your heart, whatever that is, your desires, but do it and have balance and do it with, do it with authenticity, do it with integrity. Don't do it for anyone else. And I think I learned that And that is kind of what spurred me going back and kind of just doing all right in the show. <laughs> <laughs> you did pretty well. Um, I, I released the pieces also, of, of course, a line from your verse yeah. on UK Han, uh, arguably probably the best original song ever in the franchise, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, take us in the room, the, re the recording studio, the process with, uh, uh, with the other queens and, uh, and the songwriter. <laughs> When we heard it first, I rewrote the entire song because I was like, surely they're not going to get us to sing Big Bang Bong. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was like, they can't, that can't be true. And we got in there and they were like, oh no, they're the lyrics. I was like, oh, I thought that was just a melody. <laughs> I was like, like we've to a melody. And... Release the beast. Bimini, get a 
pillow for these girls Cause they sleep on me Gender bender, system offender I like it rough but my legs all tender Don't be scared to embrace the femme Whether you're he, she or them Limp wrist, hair thick, creme de la creme Love yourself, say that again I ate my own hat then because it did really well Like people, people loved it But I think what, what happened again It was at the time it came out Especially in the UK We were at like the worst part of lockdown um, it was the most depressing part. The winter months in the UK, obviously it's dark all the time. It's it's cold. It's it's just grey. So the, Drag Race came out then. And I think that U, I think UK Hun was just such a ridiculous song that it just made everyone happy. And everyone just like could like come together and laugh about it. And it was just, it was ridiculous. But um, I, I love writing. I've been doing a lot of music myself. Um, obviously I released God Save This Queen, but I've got tons more coming out. Probably going to be uh, early next year because of Christmas now, and I don't want to go up against Mariah. I don't want to show her. <laughs> you do not yeah, want to go against battle. Mariah it's in the a losing battle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's I I really enjoy it. So it's actually funny. Like if you look at the um, when I was writing the lyrics, originally it was Unleash the Beast. I don't yeah. know why I changed it to Release the Beast last minute, but I think it worked out better. Well, who knows? <laughs> so do you study journalism before drag? Is that correct? I did, yeah. And then I did what every failed journalist does and become a drag queen. <laughs> of course. Um, so how there are a lot of books by drag queens, right, from the from the world of drag race. How did you manage to stand out from the pack? So that's a really standard. Well, I wrote mine. <laughs> um, so there yeah. you go. That's all we need to know. <laughs> There you go. That was important to me, especially because I'd studied journalism. I'd done a master's as well um, in human rights. So to me, it was like um, important that I I put what I wanted to on the paper. And it's been crazy going and seeing it in places. Um, My mum, bless her, because my hometown's like a small little hometown. I live in London, but she lives lives back in Norfolk. um, And... She goes to the, the little Walmart, well, it's Asda, but Walmart, which is there, and she just like sees the book in there and she's like, Oh, I'm gonna buy it. And every time she goes, buys a copy every time. I'm like, How many are you gonna have? <laughs> but like, my biggest thing is, I wanna walk into a charity shop and see my book there. Like, to me, that would be, I've made it. I love that. <laughs> favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You spoke a moment earlier when we were talking about that idea of like releasing the beast and getting past those sort of thoughts that hold you back. And you spoke about you know, just doing things for yourself and doing them authentically. And I think that authenticity really shines through for you in the season. Um, and there was this really beautiful moment in the show where you have this conversation with Ginny um, about being non-binary and just the way that you listen to them share their story and hold that space for them. It was a moment that resonated for so many people. What did that moment mean to you and what are the kinds of messages that you've received um i got so many messages as the Ginny, and we never well because we we filmed that before the pandemic hit so that was actually when it aired it was about 10 months later and obviously like um a lot of people with drag race they will call you and tell you if there's something significant coming up that episode for you I got a phone call that one. Obviously, a horror got a phone call every week, but <laughs> I only got one like that one just to say, like, oh, by the way, this is going to happen. Um, and we were worried. We were a bit like, oh, I don't know how it's going to happen. Because the, 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 um, the way that trans people and non-binary people are being treated in the UK right now is abysmal, and it's actually so, it's so negative. So to see such a story being spun in a positive light and it allowed people to kind of understand it a bit better... What I think was so great about mine and Ginny's conversation was that it was just two people discussing their identity, the rejection of the label of it. 
I'm very happy that we got to we got to share that on on the BBC as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking to that idea of, you know, rejecting labels and sort of figuring things out for yourself in the book, you talk about your style inspirations like Britney and Pamela Anderson and Juicy Couture velvet tracksuits. This was all like the late <laughs> 90s, early 2000s. At that time in your life, what did you understand about gender more broadly and then more specifically about your own gender? Um, I, de- I definitely conformed in my early teens. And as I was getting a bit older um, and my mum let, started letting me kind of bleach my hair and I started going to charity shops and expressing with my style. I remember like my family, what's, I remember in my family there was this term that came out, I don't know if you heard it, metrosexual. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which basically, just, yeah, which just basically means, it's meant to mean like a straight man that takes care of their appearance. Um, but then when I started experimenting with my style, I started realising that kind of clothes, you could wear what you want. That's kind of when I got into, like, Thomas, that's when I got into like Princess Julia as well and reading about like fashion and, and history. And I got really excited about moving to London because I was like, there's so much culture there, why don't I have that here? And I'd, I'd listen to my mum, like, telling me about Boy George and dressing like Boy George in the 80s and, and like, Madonna and everyone, like... I was like, well, why is no one making that effort anymore? Why, why, is, why is it so rigid? Why has it become so rigid when it, it seems to have been so fluid? I think it's, it's crazy how quickly it shifts in society with, with whatever's going on politically. It kind of really shapes how rigid we are when it comes to kind of the ideas of how we express ourselves or how we dress or how we look or the boxes that we put ourselves in. And I, and I think that's like something that straight people are just realizing now that they're kind of uh, uh, stuck in, you know, that they're yeah. in prison in this, 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 this binary, um, which was your catchphrase, crashing the system, CIS, um, and, the, and the gender binary. But what's your, is it like, do they ask you to have a catchphrase? Is it just like, here you go, and then well, that's I think just... What I think, um, what I think is good about the UK one is that we kind of, they happened a bit more organically, I think. For me, it was Release the Beast being like the biggest one. Like I was walking down the road and people would shout, Release the Beast. And I'm like, (laughs) I didn't even think that was gonna be a thing. And like, that's the most important thing for anyone that's going on the show is to just be yourselves. And I think a lot of us on our season did manage to do that. Um, But yeah, getting back to that sort of catchphrase of like crashing the system, did you enter Drag Race thinking this would be a platform to talk about like, you know, crashing the system genuinely? Like, was there a conscious thought that you had about, I have this platform, I can use it to say something? I've always been quite politically engaged. I studied journalism, I did human rights, I I was always aware of social issues and I'd always be very vocal about it. A lot of the times it was on Facebook and like looking back, I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Who was I trying to to piss off then? Now I'm able to kind of talk about it to a wider audience, which is amazing. The most important thing that we can all do is accept others' that have a radically different perspective to yours and know that it's okay. We're so divided at the minute and it's so heartbreaking and sad to see. It's kind of like, what is going to bring this world together? An alien invasion. Or fashion, because you, you know, you have this side of you that's very engaged, politically engaged, and then you, you have this other side of you. Of course, now you're signed with Next Models and you've, you've been doing like amazing editorials and campaigns for, for various magazines. Uh, talk to us a bit more about sort of like entering that world that, you know, for so many of us is like a world of fantasy and it's like really un, unreachable, but then it's, it looks and it feels from the outset, uh, at least that, you, you know, this is your life now. Um, yeah, again, again, that's to me, that's, that's mind blowing. But like, like I said, with my best friend, we worked on outfits when no one cared and I'd be buying stuff in charity shops and we'd be in my room, just like styling it and putting pieces together. And then, um, For us, it was always about the fashion. It was always about making something that was a bit weird, a bit different, or it had a message, or it was saying something. And um, that's kind of what we got to do on the show, and I got to do after that. And I got recognised with Next, and I've, I've, it's been mind blowing to be honest to kind of walk into the spaces that I've been wa- walking into. As a working class person, when I'm walking into these like five star hotels for like lunches and dinners, I'm like bloody <laughs> hell. I feel like Pretty Woman half the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, you will regret that. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah, you've definitely had Huge. that Julia moment for sure. And yeah. like, no, it is. And it's, it's amazing because I just want other queers that are growing up that have seen what I've like what's happened with me and what's happened to other queens as well. Like people like Miss Fame, we don't even like Miss Fame opened the doors really mm-hmm. for the fashion industry to take drag artists seriously. Like if it, if there was no Miss Fame, Violet as well, and and people that came after like before me, like I wouldn't probably be doing the things that I'm doing right now because they definitely opened up the doors and got taken more seriously in the fashion industry because before that they weren't being taken seriously no one would drag was kind of drag and fashion was fashion so i'm very thankful for that and i'm i'm very grateful that there have been those people and i yeah i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those so i'm i'm excited to see what's going to come there's a lot of really exciting stuff to come up i can't really say anything even though <laughs> i want to um <laughs> Is there a specific moment or encounter in the fashion world, like either meeting someone that really, you know, you sort of looked up to? Like, is there a, a particular moment in this experience that really stood out for you? Um, walking in London Fashion Week um, in September that's just gone, 2021, wearing Richard Quinn and walking past Kate Moss um, was the highlight for me because she is and always has been like my favorite. Me and my my best friend when we were 15 got matching Kate Moss tattoos, the anchor tattoo that she has on our wrist. Um, and we'd walk around in like moth-eaten fur coats and ripped fishnets drinking Diet Coke, thinking we were Kate Moss. <laughs> so like to walk past her, um, it's amazing. And then her daughter Lila was backstage and her, she actually, Lila came up to me and was like, oh my goodness, can we have a photo? Um, I just wanna say like, I'm a big fan of you. Like I've watched the show, my mum loves the show. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, go away. <laughs> One of the things that I really loved about you on the show is that you just had this sense of calm and composure about you. And obviously, like Thomas and I are both performers as well. And obviously, there's a certain amount of ego that is involved in performing and putting yourself out there. And it's rare to see uh-huh. someone in this universe just sort of take a more calm and composed approach to it. Is that something that you think about? And do you feel sort of like, alienated by the sort of loudness of the drag world? How do you sort of navigate that? Um, no, I don't necessarily. I think um, I what I tried to do, and I did it in the scene that I've come up, like like what you said about the, the loud personalities. Like, I, I, can, I can, if I want to, but I feel like um, when I came up on the drag scene, I was working my ass off to be taken seriously because there were so many of us in, in, in East London People weren't taking me that seriously at the beginning because there were so many. So you really had to work at it. And then I started getting booked five days a week, six days a week, and I went full time. And I was very lucky, but I never, I never like made it cocky. I wasn't cocky. I wasn't trying to be cocky or overconfident or arrogant. I wanted to just be myself. And it nearly fucked up and I nearly did go home the first week. But um, I do often think how different my life would have been. It would have been crazy. I wouldn't have got next model. I wouldn't have walked past Kate Moss at London Fashion Week. But I read, I read in an interview <laughs> that, you, that you did recently that you have a certain, I think you, you have a certain acceptance of this idea that the universe or whatever you want to call it sort of will make things happen the way that they're meant to happen. Is that something that you just sort yeah. of trust in? I do trust in it and I do think I do I go through waves of the busier I am the less I'm I'm more open to it I think but ultimately that I that's my essence that's what I, I believe is like trust the process trust the universe and try and, and try and be when something doesn't go your way don't get angry Bimini thank you so much for coming on to, onto the show today yeah it was such a joy to thank speak you to you thank you so much oh thank you Bimini Bon Boulash. Her new book, Release the Beast, is available wherever good books are sold. You can watch season two of RuPaul's Drag Race UK on Crave in Canada. We're really living through like this golden age of queer content on television. And it's, you know, in the four years that we've done the show, I think when we started in 2017, there were already 
you know, a few shows. I think Pose started that year. Um, but today it's just like mind blowing. And there's a new Canadian show that's just um, getting released on HBO Max in the States. And it's actually playing in Canada primetime on CBC. It's called Sort Of. Are you in the right place in your life? In terms of... Are you using any of the skills you learned in electricity school? Electrician school? Are you happy living with your straight-ass sister? Get up, it's the middle of the day. Dating your homo-ish boyfriend? Oh shit, he's cheating on me. And he went back to women. What are you hoping will happen? They just keep being the way you are and everything's magically gonna change? I'm a nanny. Like Mary Poppins? Because they're about to, bitch. Move to Berlin with me, rent free. What? Who are you exactly? I watched, I binged a whole season on CBC Gem when it came out in October. You've also seen some episodes. Yeah, it's so good. Sort of was co-created by and stars Bilal Beg as Sabi. Sabi is a non-binary millennial in Toronto trying to balance their roles as a child of a Pakistani immigrant family, a bartender at a queer bookstore and cafe. Sabi is the first non-binary lead character ever on Canadian TV. And Beg is the first queer South Asian Muslim actor to star in a Canadian primetime TV series. So that's it's, huge. Yeah, this is big and I'm so happy to see that the response to the show has been so amazing. People are so excited about this and I think that's so beautiful. One reason why I love the show so much is is it doesn't focus on the trauma of being yes. queer. It focuses on just the ordinary life and that's something really radical and that's something I'm looking for now in my queer content. I know that it can be traumatic and hard and some sometimes violent, but I, it can also be joyful. And there's plenty, plenty of joy in sort of. Hello, Bilal. Welcome to Chosen Family. Thank you for having me. Hello. Hi. Uh, I binged sort of one sitting. It's. Did you think that it would be binge worthy writing the show and producing the show? Because it's such a long process. But then when you consume it, you know, four hours, three hours and it's done. Mm, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. There, there's been such a... The, if uh, you know, I recently watched The Chair with Sandra Oh, and that's just six episodes. Reservation Dogs is just six episodes. Like everything feels like it's getting a little bit tighter and smaller and and easier to access faster. And but it wasn't something that I was really thinking about for sure because TV is and was at that time so new to me, and it's a it's a whirlwind of of things I just didn't know or wasn't totally considering, but had wonderful collaborators who who had impulses and I was down to like listen and and follow them you know totally and uh, you know I completely fell in love with Sabi I feel you know obviously everyone who's going to watch the show I believe will probably fall in love with them and I want to talk about Sabi as a friend um, because they have a, lo a lot of shortcomings that's something that we realize very early on like first episode I think like first five minutes we really see their shortcomings um, but despite that I, I liked it and, 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 and it made them seem so real um, so how would you for the people who haven't seen the show how would you describe Sabi as a friend yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think they are somebody who, because they're not so interested in being the center of attention all the time or really ever, they're they're a real space giver. So they and 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 to a fault, I think too. You know, I think they they're somebody who's who's detached themselves from the world in some ways, you know, I keep thinking about the fact that they work at a queer bookstore bar, yet they don't have like 10, 20 queer and trans friends that they kind of hang out with. They've got that one person, Seven, who, who's been around with them since, you know, for, for a very long time since childhood. So, so yeah, I think there, I think there's, um, I think there's somebody who safety really matters to them. Comfort really matters to them. And, and they latch onto the folks who who can offer them that, but them as a friend, I think, yeah, they're 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 a space giver. They're they're patient. They are not um, self obsessed. You know, um, those are I think those are good things. One other element that's so good about the show is uh, it's really tender and funny, but there's so many truth bombs. 
dropped by different characters. Uh, and one, I think my favorite from my favorite truth bomb from the show is, uh, I'm not going to disclose who says it. Cause I want to keep some, you know, like I want people to watch, but it's when one character says some people suck at the truth. And to me, it's like, it's the, the show is kind of about that. It's kind of about how we're like, always kind of like going around truth and squirting truths. And so can you tell me a bit more about that? Maybe that line specifically, how it came, is it your line another writers and why, you know, why did you feel like you had to like a, sort of approach that topic on the show? Mm. Well, th- one of the things too, that, that I love about that line in particular is it's said about um, a cis character yeah. You know, and so often one of the things that I just I think I'm going to forever explore in my work beyond the show, it's in, it's present in my theater work, too, is is why do we all why are we so obsessed with trans folks and their truth all the time and whether they're telling the truth or not or what parts are, are true and what is a mystery or a lie? But actually, everybody's relationship to truth can be complicated, is complicated, you know? And so I think there's a real power in uh, the person who says that line talking about talking about a cis person who sucks at the truth sometimes. And it's real and that's allowed, you know? Um, so the, yeah, there was, that, there was that power in it, which I loved. And I think it, the, the context in which that line comes um, makes a lot of sense too. Tell me a bit about like creating Sabi and the sort of, cause I heard your conversation with Tom Powers on Q and your desire to create a character that is not necessarily as, uh, I will say extroverted as other queer characters that we've seen on TV. Um, so creating Sabi, like, can you tell us a bit more about how you created her, uh, them, sorry, and, and why you created them that way? Yeah, I, I um, you know, it really did start as, as like an extension of me, you know, I, my, my, my creative partner and I, I, I think he thinks that I just, the way I am in the world sometimes is funny. And, and it, that's nice to hear, you know, like not, not laughing at me, but just that my, my view on the world or my kind of real hesitation around, I just have a lot of questions around why people are the way they are. And, uh, and, and I think from that, we were like, what if it, what if we really just do look at this world through the lens of somebody who's, who's uh, a little detached, a little like, uh, well, definitely guarded and, and unsure and not trusting. And um, there was just something that felt really, uh, we kept going for truth. Right. And, and I, I'm, I have so many trans people in my life, particularly trans feminine folks. And uh, there's a conversation among us about, about, um, you know, owning our own, um, there, there, we have very good reasons to not be trusting of this world. So, so to own it and that it's not, you're not a bad person for not wanting to be incredibly extroverted and in everybody's face, if that's going to cost you your safety and well-being. Cause I think what's tricky also in terms of presenting the almost like mundane, aspect of life sometimes is that it lacks conflict and it's television. So we need conflict. So how did you kind of showing the reality, but also kind of making it dramatic for TV? Yeah. I mean, I think so much of that is really Sebi in relationship to other people, right? Like inherently the, the relationship with uh, Sebi's mother, Rafa is so fraught. And I think that again, that, 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 that relationship almost wrote itself in, in us being like, okay, what we're going to do with this is again, not rush it, give it the space that it needs and watch these two dance around each other and take one step forward, two steps back. One person lets one person in the other one shuts down. Like that realness, that truth. We, we, it, 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 it I think that a conflict is a great word. Cause I think it's juicy. And, and, and I, I, I look for that in my own work and, 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 and I think there's a way to, to, to root it, to be grounded, but then the, like kind of human nature existence is full of conflict. So we can find it even when our characters aren't the, those finger snappy, sassy people that, that, that it is a natural part of, of 
the way we communicate all the time. Um, we're almost out of time. My last question, I, you know, I'm based in Montreal, you're based in Toronto and you came up in the world of Toronto theater. Um, but for all the people who will discover you with this project and there will be a lot around the world and we want more from you. So what's next? What is the, you taking up more space and showing up in the world? What does that look like? Um, Great question. I, I've got to say, um, what's really compelling me the most, and it, it's a, it, I don't know, it might be disappointing for some people, but I am, um, I, I do a lot of work it, for specific like nonprofits and community based organizations. And um, there's a, there, there's a couple different things, but they're not so focused on me, like, I'm right now I'm just in love with, uh, I work with a group of trans women of color and they just, I just kind of facilitate their creative process and they do whatever they want. And it's like off the <laughs> chains. And so there might be an online magazine publication of their work coming out, but I'll, I don't, I, I don't know too much about that yet, but maybe I can keep you posted or, or I can post about it on my socials. And then, and then Paprika Festival, it's a Toronto based okay. work. That's, Uh, all about young people kind of creating and doing their own work. And I facilitate a playwrights unit. And um, so I'm going to be working with a, a handful of young people as they start writing their first plays. And, um, and yeah, that's the stuff I'm kind of like really looking at right now. I think, I think it, it is rewarding for me to, this feels like so much output, you know, so much of me out in the world. And I, and I think it's good. And I know that I was signing up for that, but, part of my core is to balance out. Like if I'm giving that much of myself, I've got to hide a bit or recover in some way. And, and I'm, I'm finding working with other people on their stuff and just being a guide facilitator mentor kind of person is, is equally as nourishing. So I know, I know that's not the glitzy answer maybe that people are hoping for but uh it's it's true for me and i do love that work uh, i mean it says a lot about your character that you love that that kind of work and i you know anything that makes you happy will be happy i'm sure uh this was lovely bilal thank you so much for taking the time to uh for speaking with the uh, chosen family thank you yeah totally thanks so much for having me take care Obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? What are you obsessed with? Well, true to form, I'm obsessed with something that was really popular a few years ago that nobody cares about anymore. Katy Perry? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not Katy Perry. Project Runway. Oh my God. This is Project Runway. Yes! I am fashion. Look at me. The search for the next big fashion designer. It's cut or be cut. Just make it work. With Heidi Klum <laughs> and Tim Gunn. <laughs> the, the 2000s nostalgia is real. It's very real and it's scary. So it's everything that you think it is. It's a fashion reality TV competition show. It's Drag Race. It's Drag, Drag Race yeah. stole Yeah. everything yeah, the challenges from project runway like everyone always talks about america's next top model but no rupaul stole every <laughs> single thing from project runway as it aged well like 15 well, years i never later? saw it back right. in the day like i've never seen it before obviously i love fashion i love seeing people design things and make things like the perfect show It's very for me impressive. the judging panel is something else so for most of the seasons it was heidi Michael Kors. Really? Nina Garcia, who's now the editor-in-chief of Elle magazine. At the time, she was the creative director of Mary Claire. I love her. She's fabulous. Those were the main ones. Michael Kors is like an old school queen. <laughs> Gay guys like that are not being made no, anymore. That line was discontinued. Yeah, yeah. And he says the most horrible things to the designers. He is mean. His catchphrase at one point was, fashion is not for sissies. <gasps> Ouch. And I'm like... Uh, yes, it is. It's like <laughs> fashion is almost exclusively for sissies. <laughs> And yeah, he's like a fucking sissies. sissy faggot too. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> 
What are you obsessed with? Another reality TV show. Uh, my obsession is a Quebec TV show called Occupation Double. So for our French listeners, of course, you know what that is. If you're uh, Canadian or American, I believe you could watch online on a website called nouveau.ca, N-O-O-V-O.ca. It's a straight dating show, very old school, women on one side, men on the <laughs> other side. Um, but it's just so keb. I have not seen Occupation Double yet ever. I hear about it all the time. Um But I have no concept of, like, how does this show work? Okay. Like, what is it? <laughs> so exciting. Two houses. One house of guys, one house of girls. Usually some seasons would have, like, two houses of girls. Some seasons would have, like, last season, for example, they've had, like, at, at some point they had, like, one house. Everyone was in the same house. Um, the goal is for, it's very straight. The goal is for one guy and one girl to be paired up as a couple at the end and win, to be in love. During the week when they're there, they only, like, see the opposite sex twice a week. Okay. And so that's all the time that they have to, like, start developing like a relationship and then sometimes they're sent on these trips so they can go with their date on a different trip sometimes they're sent on a trip with someone who is not their prospect so that happened this season a girl was dating a guy she went on a trip with a different guy made out with them came back to the house <laughs> everybody knew about it and then they broke up and then she's gone the guy is with a different girl and there used to be more fights so there has been over the years many epic fights girls fighting for one the same guy uh, a guy and a girl breaking up um this season the big twist from this from this season was there was this one couple that was kind of together the girl was way more into the guy than the guy Oh, the guy is so hot. Robin. Mm. <laughs> And a few weeks in, so he's dating Alexandra. But a few weeks in, they brought up his ex from before he did all day. So she got into the house. Oh, my God. She was there to win him back. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. It's the, the, it's the producers are terrorizing these poor kids wow. like making them live so many emotions um and to wrap it up i got my mom to watch it this year and she is obsessed she's binging back seasons we're watching together she has her favorite couple i hate that couple i have my favorite couple um so my mom is really into that and and drag race i got my mom she was almost 60 to be obsessed with like a a dating show with people in their 20s. Um, yeah. So she's hip, you know? Perfect way to bond <laughs> with your parents. Absolutely. All right, time for the best part of the show, the credits. Chosen Family is produced by me, Thomas LeBlanc. And me, Trana Winter. Aiden McMahon edits and mixes the show. SK Robert is our digital producer. Tina Verma is our senior producer. And Arif Narani is the executive producer of CBC Podcasts. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. We are recording this season at Tomei Park Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at Chosen Family Show. It's a mood board. We share visual stories, uh, updates. So follow us. And we only have two episodes left of this season. So if you still have not shared this, <laughs> what are you waiting for? Do it now. We love your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for uh, reviewing the show, sharing the show. And you can listen to Chosen Family wherever you pod, really wherever, ever you pod. And on that note, we never can say goodbye. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.